Good morning, everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I hope you were blessed. Let's come together and sing. Praise the King. If you're able, uh, please stand and join me in singing, Come Thou Fount.
Father, we thank you this day for the wonderful opportunity given to us. We thank you for the gifts of life, that of our families and friends, and your breath in us. Thank you for the goodness and blessings over our life and the sacrifice we, that we may have life and freedom. Forgive us our sins and iniquities, especially when we do not thank you enough for who you are, what you do in our lives, and what you have given us. As we are about to start the day, O oh Lord, enlighten our hearts and eyes that we may see you and your work today. Guide our path, O oh Lord, and let your spirit and power be with us 
that we may not fall into any temptation. Give us wisdom and understanding to make the best choices. Fill us with your desires. Grant us a cheerful spirit, even when things don't go our way. Guide and protect each and every one of us as we soak our bodies into the soul of the blood of Jesus. Fill us with happiness and let your will be done in our lives today. We pray for this service, Lord, that it would be powerful, that you would touch those hearts that need it touched today, Lord. Thank you as your word goes forth, Lord, that it does not return to you void. It accomplishes what it desires. We thank you for your love, your tenderness toward us, and for the sacrifice you made for our lives. Amen. My name is Scott, if you don't know me. Good to be here. Nice to meet you. I'm so sorry. Hey. I'll be right back. <laughs> I'm interrupt. I know I'm a little shorter, but sorry. <laughs> we just be a minute. Um, hi, everyone. Welcome. So good to see you all here in person. I'm Connie Evans. I'm the director of children's ministry here. So I just have some exciting announcements. First, uh, you all got a bulletin, and that has a Connect card. So if any of you are first time here, please fill that out so that we can stay connected with you. And then also, we think it has a prayer request on it, and since we are a church that believes strongly in the power of prayer, please fill out anything. It can be a praise uh, or a need and submit it, and then we will be praying for you as a church all week long. And you can take your Connect card and your prayer card and your tithing and put that in uh, on the wall over there in that box, but not yet. Stay here. So my exciting announcement is this Friday, December the 2nd, which is in five days from now, from 4.45 to 7 is our Miracles Christmas event. And it is all church. Something for everyone will be there. So uh, first of all, it is for the San Diego Food Bank. And you guys, we have rocked it as a church supporting the food in our community here where it's needed. So please just empty out your pantry and bring some things as long as they're not expired. And when you bring them, then you get a shekel. And then you can take that shekel to the general store where you can get a hot chocolate or a cookie. Sounding good, right? So it doesn't stop there. Then you can go shopping at the alternative gift market. That will take real money. But you get all your Christmas shopping done, and that will all support a needy cause. But it doesn't stop there. We will have San Diego version of snow. We will have live nativity with animals that we hope will behave this time. Never know. Uh, we will have games and crafts and a face painting lady. And then Santa heard about this, and he called me and said, I'm, I'm in. So Santa's going to be there, too. And when you think it can't get any better than that, then from 6.30 to 7, everything will shut down, and we're going to sing Christmas carols. Oh, Well, with the awesome band. Usually they're standing back there with our awesome band. So it's going to be a really fun, fabulous, fabulous night. So please come and join us. And um, if you have any questions, there'll be somebody out there who can answer them for you. And then also, um, I think that if you go back home after the exciting event and you find more food that you want to donate, I'll have the Red Barrel out here again next Sunday. So thank you. Looking forward to seeing you all there. All right, where was I? Uh, <clears throat> my name is Scott. Good to be here with you all. Uh, this is high season for parents, isn't it? For those of you who have little kids or remember that. Uh, the transition from Thanksgiving to Christmas means that we are on. It is game time. We are being given Christmas lists as we speak. They're being edited. Uh, we're being told exactly what to purchase, what not to purchase. And all the things that go into putting on this production, it's not just church. It's also parents and families that host. Uh, I mean, I have 19 boxes in storage that we got yesterday. 19 boxes. I don't even know what's in there. I don't even know why we do this every year, but we do. And this transition from Thanksgiving to Christmas, one of the key parts is this uh, idea of gratitude, 
Uh, some of you know this, uh, if, especially if you're a part of a nonprofit or get emails. Uh, Tuesday is Giving Tuesday, which means it's not just high season for families, it's also high season for organizations that are trying to, in similar ways to retailers, get to Black Friday in terms of solvency for their, uh, for their mission and their agency. So you're going to receive, I'm sure, dozens of requests for contributions and donations coming up on Tuesday. And what we're going to talk about today is generosity. And we're not going to talk about money, though. As Steve and I were talking about this message, he made clear this is not a tithing, this is not a get-out-your-pocketbook message. This is about generosity in response to the gratitude that we experience and feel to what our lives have turned into from God. It's complicated, though, isn't it? I think uh, being generous and expressing gratitude is not as easy as it seems. It's not as easy as going around a Thanksgiving table, maybe some of you did this, and took turns saying what you're grateful for, which always, at least the, the, the tables that we spend time at for Thanksgiving, turns into some version of my health, being together again. It's uh, some version of that, and maybe someone shares something significant, but usually it's relatively light, and then the next person goes, and it's really kind of neat and tidy. That's what we're grateful for, but gratitude and generosity is actually a lot more complicated. There's an episode of Friends, maybe some of you are Friends uh, fans, episode of Friends uh, that was all about the idea of selflessness and generosity. And the whole, I don't remember how the premise started in the episode, uh, but the idea was that there, someone in the, one of the six friends said, there's no such thing as a selfless act, because you always receive something from it. And the rest of the episode is, I believe it's Phoebe, is trying to prove the point that there is a selfless act. And at the very last scene, she does something extraordinary, uh, sacrificial, and it's, it hurts her to do it. And yet she, like, at the, the, the last moment, she's like, darn it, I feel good about this. And she still receives something from that generous act. It's always like that. We're going to turn to a, a couple passages of scripture this morning and look at the complexity of gratitude and generosity. Because it's not just friends, not just Phoebe. It's also how God understands what he is up to in the midst of him requiring us and asking us to be generous and grateful. So we're going to turn to uh, Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read it. And uh, we're going to look at two quick stories, both in the Gospel of Luke. It's uh, chapter 7, verse 36. And it's maybe a familiar story for you, uh, but I want to hopefully hear this in a fresh way uh, this morning. It says this in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. And the Pharisee who had invited him saw this. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him the story. A man loaned money to two people. To one he gave 500 pieces of silver, and to the other he gave 50 pieces. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she's washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and there are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who's forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And the men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's a relatively familiar story for many of us who've been uh, to church for a while or grew up in church. And there's also this ethic 
that's uh, embedded in this, this passage. It's basically, the idea is uh, for someone who's been canceled their debts and forgiven much, they have a lot of kind of generosity and gratitude that just bubbles up out of them. It's a general principle, something that oh, those of us as parents try to uh, teach our kids over time. Because when our kids are little and they have their Christmas list, that is so fine. Uh, grandparents, aunts and uncles are so happy to give little kids what they want for Christmas. It gives us much joy. But there's a problem when they turn into teenagers and then young adults and they're still submitting their Christmas list and they haven't transitioned. My wife and I kind of made a joke uh, with our son who's 16 in his presence a few days ago and I felt bad afterwards, but it had a good result. So here we go. Uh, we, we, uh, our youngest was asking the siblings, what do you all want for Christmas? And uh, then we turned, my wife and I, I think at the same time I had this light bulb go off, and we looked at our son, we're like, you've never asked anybody what they wanted for any holiday. And then one of us kind of chimed in on that and said, yeah, you've never even given a gift to anybody. Like, you're 16, and she's 9. You, there's just a compare and contrast. And in many ways, if I could have stopped there as, as someone who teaches parenting in local schools, I'm like, that's not the best Shame, humiliation, it's not, I mean, it's an effective strategy in the short term, but it's not a good long-term uh, strategy for raising up kids. But yesterday, my son and I were doing yard work in the backyard, and he turned to me as we're both raking leaves, and he said, hey, Dad, what do you want for Christmas this year? And I didn't have an answer, because I don't, I don't know, I don't have the list on the top of my head, and, and uh, I just said, I don't know, buddy, I'll, I'll get back to you. And then a couple hours later, I just remembered that he asked me that, and I, it occurred to me, he's never asked me that before. And I don't know if that kind of shame and humiliation bubbled up inside him and he wants to fix that. I don't know if he had this, like, uh, the principle that we've been trying to get through to him since he was two, this idea of being grateful and saying thank you, finally kind of just sparked something in his head. I don't know. Maybe he wants something out of me. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but he hasn't asked for it yet. But that idea that as we grow older, we want to see gratitude uh, turn into generosity. We want to see something happen, and it requires something of us. It requires something of us. I even noticed that as my mom at Thanksgiving table said, what are you, she looked at me, what are you grateful for this Thanksgiving? And it just, even the idea of expressing that and saying something that I'm grateful for, it felt like it required, it cost me something. Cost me some is a little bit vulnerable to say something. Is it felt a little bit like it spent a lot more energy than it would have been just to have small talk. There's something about that transaction. But he or she who's been given much, not too much is required. That's another message for another time. But gratitude flows out of them. We don't know much about the woman in this story. It says she was immoral, says she was a sinner. Some people over time have assumed that that meant that she was uh, kind of a, a loose woman, maybe a prostitute of the town. There's also other examples in the three other gospel stories of Mary, who's the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Uh, Mary has almost the exact same exchange with Jesus. Uh, and we don't know that Mary to be this sort of immoral sinner woman. But from the perspective of the, the host of the meal, uh, kind of the center of the story is not just the woman. It's also this person named Simon, who's a Pharisee. A Pharisee was someone who saw everybody through the lens of good or bad, clean or evil, uh, right with God or a sinner. And as Jesus understands what's going on in Simon's mind, as, as, uh, as this woman comes and, and uh, breaks this very expensive perfume uh, over Jesus and, and anoints him and cries and kind of has this moment of devotion with Jesus, uh, Jesus can perceive that Simon has this sort of, what is, what is going on here? A, a, a clean, righteous man who considers himself a prophet would never allow someone like this to get in his presence or to touch him. And Simon doesn't understand that the way blessing flows and curses flow is not the way that he thinks it does. Simon has this idea that if you are cursed, if you're uh, separated from God, if you have some infection, if, you have, if you're a sinner, if I get near you, then it'll affect me. Almost like we think about COVID or RSV or the flu. Like, if you are contagious, your contagion will get me infected. But he doesn't know what Jesus knows. It actually goes the other way. You're not infected by sin. You actually, in your goodness, you affect others. And that's the key transaction that I'm hoping my kids get. That gratitude isn't just something nice that you do. It's not the little letter you write to your grandma. 
It's not just a nice quality of social etiquette. It is actually something that will change you as you participate in it. Uh, recently, I'm uh, speaking to my son. He's on a surf team, and there was a surf competition that I took him to. It was an early Sunday morning. It was a long day. It's like there's these different heats, and he, there's like two hours be between the time he's going to surf again. So it was really cold one morning that, when we were there, and I decided to go back to sit in my car in the parking lot and warm up, and I was literally sitting there in the front seat reading a newspaper in a parking lot 7.30 in the morning. And all of a sudden, somebody runs into my car. Uh, like a kind of smaller SUV as I'm sitting there parked, just on the entire side of the car, just fully into my car and continues to go. And I'm just like looking here, like, what is happening? And then uh, I look over and it's a 16-year-old girl who's parking way, obviously way too close. And I, I'm like waving, stop, stop, stop. And she does. And then I give her this gesture, like roll down the window. I don't know if she knows what that means though. <laughs> Ruled, she figures it out, she rolls down the window, and I say, good morning, please don't move. And then the way she kind of came in, I said, I want you to turn your wheel to the right and slowly back up. Here's what she did. Turned it to the left and quickly backed up, more into the car. And now I'm like, stop, <laughs> stop. And then I say, turn off the car. And now she is fully, like, it is pressed into the cars. We, and... So I have to climb out of the other side and then go around, and I go over, and of course she's shaking, and, and I, I, her name's Michaela. I'm like, hi, I'm Scott. Nice to meet you. And I said, it's going to be okay. Could you please get out of the car? <laughs> and she gets out of the car, and I back it up. She's never done this before, and, and, and I say, do you know where your insurance information is? And she goes, what's that? And I, so I'm, I'm now seeing the situation and noticing that we're, this is a teaching moment, or at least I decided it's a teaching moment. And uh, I, I take a picture of her license. I give her my insurance information. I don't, so we, we part ways. She drives off. I don't think she ended up parking, hopefully. Watch out for Michaela if you see her. <laughs> and later that night, after I went to bed, I actually assumed I wouldn't hear from her. Uh, I had her license plate, and, and I, I'd mentioned it to a friend. He said, well, you, you know, you can call the police. That's kind of a hit and run. I'm like, no, that's like the last thing. And uh, I wake up the next morning, and she had texted me that, late that night. And then I got a text from her dad as well. I'm so sorry. What a terrible situation. Whatever, you know, please let me know. And so uh, I actually never really took a good look at the car. I knew it was drivable. I, I saw scratches for sure. But as a, like a real first pass, nothing looked bad. And so uh, early that morning, I'd, I'd walk the dog in the dark, and I kind of looked around the car. I'm like, it's just scratches, no big deal. And I wanted to do what I hope another dad would do when my kids run into them. And so I texted the dad back, and I said, hey, it's not that big a deal. Anything that's, uh, it's all cosmetic. Um, basically, like, Merry Christmas. Don't worry about it. It takes a village to raise these little dummies. And he writes back. He's like, oh, my gosh, that's awesome. So great. Uh, but here's where it gets complicated, because uh, later on, I mentioned that to my wife, and she's like, wait, what? And I said, yeah, I just, you know, I, I, I don't know, I just want to forgive her, and, uh, you know, I've, I've hit people before, and I feel really bad, and, and people were generous and nice with me about it, and so I just want to kind of pass that on, and whatever. And then she said, did you look at your car? And I'm like, well, sort of. I mean, it's, yeah, it's just not, it's not, she's like, it's, all the panels are dented in. And then she reminded me of an important fact. It's a lease. I have to turn it back in soon. And so the most uncomfortable, awkward text, I had to text the dad back and be like, hey, remember me? <laughs> that good Samaritan guy? Uh, psych, uh, JK. And he, he's totally fine. He's like, of course, no, don't worry about it. And then we actually now have like a friendship. And we've exchanged messages about kids these days and how we're all raising kids. And, but it, the point is, it's, it's never that simple and clean to be generous. There's always some cost. There always is some exchange. It's not like we see in Hallmark movies. Uh, there's a cost to it. There's another quick story I want to I wanna share with us. Uh, because what I see in the woman, the, the woman has this moment of uh, transformation for her because Jesus uh, allows her to come near to him. And he says to her, your sins are forgiven all the questions that you've had about yourself and about life, 
all the big questions that you've had unresolved about who God is and who God says you are are now resolved. Your sins are forgiven. You are now close to God again. And whatever her sin has been, whatever her lifestyle has been, Jesus lets her know in that moment, you are no longer separated from that. You no longer have to hide in shame. You no longer have to run away. You no longer have to have a sense that God's displeased with you or mad at you. She has that restored in that moment. There's this other guy, and if you, ever, if you grew up in church, which I didn't, you know this story about Zacchaeus, the wee little man named Zacchaeus. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. This is in Luke 19. There was a man there uh, named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region. I used to uh, do a lot of college ministry, and we would, as reading stories like this, the students would start hissing when there were the bad, evil characters in the story. So chief tax collector gets like triple hisses because it wasn't just the enemy of Israel. It was a traitor to Israel. It was a guy that was so off the reservation, pardon the, the phrase, he was so outside of what he should have been that people looked at him and said, you are, uh, not only have, uh, has God turned his back on you, you've turned your back on him. He's the worst of the worst, according to the Jews. His name was Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, and he had become very rich, which meant he stole from his own people. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too wee little short man to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. So he goes ahead of where the, the, kinda, the posse is going with Jesus in the, in the lead. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name Zacchaeus. Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Now, Jesus should not have done that. He was really not allowed to, according to the ritualistic rules, especially according to the Pharisee system. You do not go near somebody like that. You stay far away. Again, because that sin, that sort of lack of cleanliness, that far from godness will, will rub itself off onto Jesus. And that will make Jesus impure, ritualistically uh, unclean, make him tainted. And Jesus does the exact opposite. He knows who this guy is and says, I must come and be a guest in your home today, which in their culture is different than it is for us now. Now, it's tricky to have guests, house guests, especially the last couple of years. Uh, it's tricky, but it's not the same as it was for them. It's even, we're having a Christmas party next Saturday. We have so many things to do before we have company over. You with me? You know what that's like. So it is still a sacrifice to have house guests. But in their world, in, ancient, uh, in the ancient world where Jesus was, if you were to go to somebody's home, it meant something. It meant affiliation. It meant relationship. You don't do this with anybody. You don't just flippantly say, hey, we should have meals sometime. You only have a meal with someone in their home if you want to be associated with them. If you want to actually join with them and almost have a familial tie to them. So Jesus sees this chief tax collector, sinner, worst of the worst, and not only doesn't ignore him, avoid him, he doesn't just say hi to him, he says, I must come to your house today, in front of all these people who would know what that meant. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house uh, in, in great excitement and joy. But, of course, the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. It's kind of a different story than the woman with the alabaster jar. Uh, it's in some ways similar, though, as well. The moment of transformation for Zacchaeus happens after the moment of generosity. It happens after the expression of gratitude. It's almost like Zacchaeus never uh, hears a story, doesn't read uh, a, a, like a decree on a, on, a, on, a, uh, on a lamppost about Jesus. Hey, if Jesus comes to your house, the rule is you're supposed to give half your wealth, and if you cheat anybody, pay them back four times. Nothing like that, but something in Zacchaeus' heart is touched by Jesus coming near to him. 
And in response to that, Zacchaeus just pronounces this, almost like he can't help it. It's a spontaneous kind of burst of gratitude and generosity. Lord, I'm going to give half my wealth. Why not three quarters? Why not all? Why not 40%? I don't know. But he just says, half my wealth, and if I've cheated anybody, which he has, I will make amends, and I will go repay them four times back what I've taken from them. And that's when Jesus says, this heart has been changed. That's something that we know as parents. Of course, we want them to have the social etiquette. When someone gives you a gift, say thank you. When you get to a certain age, start thinking in anticipation of how to be generous towards others. That's just how it works better that way. But we also know something will happen in you when you sacrificially give. Something will actually change in you. Something will be different. I I don't know how to explain it necessarily, this mysterious thing that happens. If you can think of a moment when you've done something really, truly sacrificial for someone else, something actually changes inside you. There was a a, a famous psychology study, uh, Princeton, in the 70s. It's the Good Samaritan uh, study, if you've ever heard this. But here's here's the general idea. Religious studies students... Students in seminary were tasked with the chore of coming up with a talk to give to the rest of the class. And the talk was, give a lecture or a sermon on the passage of the Good Samaritan. And then half of them were told, as they were preparing, half of them were told, you're late. You're late for your lecture. You have to get over to the lecture hall right now. They're waiting for you. And along the way, they planted between where they were preparing and where they were supposed to go and give the talk, they planted a man who was somehow uh, uh, on the ground, so they did, you know, it's not clear, is he drunk, is he dead, is he inebriated, is he hurt? And they wanted to see how many of those people who were told they were late, preparing the exact message, they're now inside the parable that they're preparing, how many of them would stop and help this man? And then the other group was told generally, hey, it's about time to get going over there. You're not, a, you know, no rush, but, you know, make your way over there. And then there's these little nerds on a clipboard who are watching to see what happened. Compare, contrast. Those who were no rush, get to take your time, make sure you get there, uh, 63% of them stopped and did some version of help. Whether they stayed there or called or made sure the man was okay, 63% of them, which is not great for seminarians, <laughs> nevertheless, 6 out of 10 of them stopped. How many do you think who were in a rush stopped and helped a man? It was one out of 10, 10%. 90%, and then they were all kind of, uh, you know, you're on candid camera kind of afterwards, like, joke's on you, we were watching. And the explanation was, well, I had a duty, I was late. I was late. I didn't, and it, again, they're in this parable. They've been preparing the exact story that they're now in, and they didn't see it. And now, as you look at that study, and we look back at that story of the Good Samaritan, there's really three different people who, uh, in the story that Jesus tells, were on their way somewhere, and only one out of three stopped. And it was the least likely, the least likely person to stop on the way. And it's got me thinking, this idea of uh, being grateful for what I have, being generous with what I've been given, being sacrificial. What if, it's not my ethics, It's not my principles. It's not my beliefs. What if it's my hurriedness that makes me miss all these moments? This fast-paced world that we're in, and it's not even just fast-paced. It's just who I am. I keep a to-do list on Saturdays. Like, I have a list. It's in my phone. I have a list of things I got to make. And it's not just like chores. It's like, I want to make sure I read the Wall Street Journal. I want to make sure I go to the driving range. I want to make sure I get to, uh, I got to go buy a new clock gun at Home Depot. Uh, I want to make sure we go play Frisbee. Like, I will make a list and then I will check it off. And if I don't check off my list by Sunday night, I, it's, a, it's literally, for me, a wasted weekend. I'm hurried all the time. And I think about the moments, the real moments where I've actually been free to be present and engaged and paying attention are typically like vacation moments. Or maybe you remember this when all of San Diego a few years ago went off the grid, when someone in Yuma flipped a switch, accidentally tripped on a cord, and there's a huge blackout over the entire city. 
our neighbors still talk about the best night of our neighborhood. It was that night when none of us had anything to do. There were no gas stations open. There was no TV on. We couldn't watch anything. This is probably kind of right pre-social media. We had nothing else to do besides go outside and hang out together and be generous with our time and our attention. See, we're not talking about money. I think what God is asking me, and perhaps you this holiday season, is to be generous with your time. There's something about how we are so predisposed to not seeing moments of potential with people. I miss it all the time, and I don't even know it because I've got something to do, something productive, something useful, something of responsibility, of obligation. And I have to get to that because that's what I'm here to do. That's, my, that's next on my calendar. That's next on my to-do list. And I miss seeing my neighbor. Literally, I miss seeing them. Morning, get in my car. I take our dog on a walk every single morning, and about every three mornings, there's a woman in our neighborhood who has little treats for dogs that she sees. And I have to be honest, hopefully she's not watching. I don't know if she knows <laughs> about this church. I can't stand when I see her coming a couple blocks away. Now, my dog loves it. My dog, like, recognizes her 500 yards away and just starts running. I don't like it because it slows me down. And a couple weeks ago, and, I'm, and I kind of let her know, I've got like my earphones in, I'm, I've, I'm walking like I've got someplace to be, I, I, you know, I'm pretty short with my small talk, morning, yeah, how's it going? The, uh, but a couple weeks ago, she said, my husband fell. And then, not only do I recognize that we're in a moment, but as I walked away after I heard the story, I just realized all those times I see here are an opportunity that I don't have time for. And so I'm wondering what it looks like to reflect on time as we transition into the Christmas season. There's some phenomenal stories that I'm sure you'll watch as we watch. A Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens, It's a Wonderful Life, Family Man with Nick Cage. All right, love Nick Cage. There's these stories of time, reflecting on time. Uh, uh, Ebenezer Scrooge is going to be visited by three ghosts to reflect on time. Uh, the family guy, Nicholas Cage, is given this opportunity to have this alternative storyline where his life could have gone had he chosen to go right instead of left. It's the same thing for It's a Wonderful Life. We want to see what time would have happened, what, how time would have uh, kind of evolved had you never been born. And I remember uh, a moment when I was 21 years old and I had a nightmare that I would turn 40 at some point and just live a mediocre, boring, nice life. And here I am, post-40, and I realized, okay, I haven't, but yet I've still got a little bit of runway left. And what helps me actually feel grateful for my neighbors, for the lady on the walk, for my people and my family, is to re reflect on where I would be had I not had moments like Zacchaeus had and the woman with the alabaster jar. If I had not had moments where Jesus bumped into me and I received some of the grace and gratitude from him. I think about who I would have turned into. I would have been someone who had even longer to-do lists, no time for any small talk. I would have turned into someone that I would not have been proud of. And so that's my challenge for myself and for you this Christmas season. What does it look like to allow yourself to be interrupted? To be generous because of what you've been given. To express gratitude for the time that you have. I remember... Uh, uh, when I was doing college ministry, I bumped into this girl in a college, uh, in, in a coffee shop at USD. I used to love canceled meetings. Students all the time wouldn't show up. And I'd have a free hour just to kind of wander on campus. And USD is a great place to be. And I remember seeing a, a, a kid didn't show up to have a meeting with me. And so I just kind of wander around the coffee shop. And I see another young lady who was a, a leader in our ministry. She was a small group Bible study leader. And I went over to her. Her name was Leah. And I said, hey, Leah, how's it going? We ended up getting this conversation for like 35, 40 minutes uh, just about small talk, and it was, a, it was a delightful conversation, but it was a total random, 
And then uh, all of a sudden you can kind of tell there's no bells on a college campus, but you can tell the transitions when all of a sudden people start getting up and going to class. And she starts packing her bags, and I say, oh, what are you off to? And she said, oh, I have a midterm right now. I was like, oh, a midterm? And I'm like, are you prepared? To and then she kind of looks sheepish. She says, no. I said, oh, my gosh. I just, I mean, I didn't even have, you didn't have to sit and talk to me. I could have. And then she said this. She said, I spent this past summer in Mexico City on a mission trip. And I learned from that culture, they have a different idea of time. And she said, I, and this host family I lived with, they would just stop. It, even if they had work to do, even if they had chores, they would just stop. Whenever I was there, it just visit and just spend time with me. And she said, I just came back wanting to keep and preserve some of that. So she said, I have a personal, I said, you're the first person I've ever told this to. I have this discipline, this spiritual discipline of interruptibility. And she goes, but the fact that you came and sat down, I just trusted that God was going to do something even though I knew that I was in haste and I was hurried and I wasn't prepared, I wanted to see. And she goes, look, didn't we have a good conversation? I was like, we did. And this was a gift. And so that's the challenge for you as well. The idea of uh, Thanksgiving around a dinner table. And the next moment, we're going to be sitting around, probably with a similar group of people, at Christmas Eve or Christmas dinner, and you can maybe have the same exact conversation, or what would it look like to invest the energy that you have, the attention that you have, the curiosity that you have into their lives? What can happen to somebody if you gave them your full attention? If you allowed yourself to be interrupted, you didn't move on to the next thing? What would that look like? What would happen inside you as you gave them that gift? Let's pray. Lord, uh, Just reflect on that idea of um, Zacchaeus having a spontaneous moment to uh, reflect back what he feels like he's been given. And uh, something happens in him as he expresses the gratefulness, the gratitude that he feels for God giving him full attention, of coming near to him. And he actually allows that moment to do something inside him. He allows himself to be stirred and moved and then to act out of that. I pray, God, the, the moments that we pause to express and reflect on what we've been given, the, the, the relationships, the opportunities, uh, the, the ways in which you've moved in our life, as we reflect on those moments, God, I pray that you would do something inside of us, something that would trans, translate into uh, expressions of generosity. And I pray, God, that as we do that, you would... Teach us that life with you is not just a, a set of rules, a, a list of things to do to make sure we're neat and tidy and go to church, but we would see ourselves on a quest with you, a quest of making time uh, in, in all of its fullness to invite you into time and allow your kingdom to be present through us and how we express our gratitude. And also, as we do turn to this moment of uh, considering how the financial blessings you've given us could be given back to you, to be used through the ministries of this church. God, I pray that you would help us to have the willingness, like Zacchaeus, like the woman with the alabaster jar who, who kind of wastes this very expensive perfume, that we be willing to trust you with the very precious things that we've worked hard for as well. That we would trust that you would do something not just in us, but also through us as we give. We pray this in your name. Amen. Embarrassed, I couldn't even show my face.
Uh, you didn't know there's no alpha it's concluded there's no after service group back in here uh, but you are now sent out to have some coffee and conversation and maybe give someone your full attention and see what happens now may God the Father fill you with all the wisdom that you need to know that the Son draws near to you and fills your hearts and may God the Spirit help you be more loving more patient more kind and more giving than you were yesterday. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Love, it comes with 